Ethereum is popular right now. Maybe we didn't even predict how popular it would be. The main problem is scalability. The bandwidth is finite. So the more people use it, the more expensive it becomes. The best solution was to build rollups, execute transactions off of Ethereum and then batch them and verify them on Ethereum. The breakthrough of zero knowledge computation in blockchain is the ability to a very big compute that is done on layer twos, layer threes, even off chain. And then the only thing you have to verify on layer one is the zero knowledge proof which is very, very small. What you end up with is actually compression. You almost get a zip file and you only store the zip file on Ethereum in some sense. You're listening to the Venture Alpha Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes as we identify, diligence, and discuss private investment opportunities at the bleeding edge of Web3. I'm your host, Mike Grantis, co-founder and managing director at Contango Digital Assets a forward-looking venture firm focused on building and investing in innovative companies that make Web3 globally accessible. The Venture Alpha podcast is produced and distributed by Contango Digital Assets. You can find us online at contango.digital. Hey, everyone. I'm excited to share with you my conversation with Elias Tazartes founder at Kakarot. Kakarot is a zero-knowledge Ethereum virtual machine implementation built on the Cairo coding language. It's designed to work out of the box with all developer tools and wallets built on Ethereum. And they've been open source since day one and will soon be implemented on StarkNet, layer two and layer three. Kakarot's pre-seed round saw investment from Starkware, Lambda class, and Ethereum's very own Vitalik Buterin, along with some other notable angels. Their project has been the subject of a lot of hype and anticipation as it will bring the EVM to the StarkNet ecosystem. So with that in mind, here is my conversation with Elias Tazartes. I was thinking maybe we just started off at, at a very high level and ask you why ZK rollups are, are so important for the future of Ethereum. I think seeing how Ethereum is popular right now, I think maybe we didn't even predict how popular it would be. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the main problem is uh, scalability, how Ethereum is kind of the, 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 the bandwidth is finite mm -hmm. and at least as a choice. So the more people use it, the more expensive it becomes. And the best, the best solution the Ethereum foundation found and the, the, the community found was to build rollups. Mm -hmm. So as to say, execute transactions off of Ethereum and then batch them and, and verify them on Ethereum. So Ethereum has this kind of modular blockchain approach where the Ethereum L1 is really the security layer and then layer twos or layer threes even on top of that inherit the security from, from the base layer. So talk a little bit about the layer twos and where they're inheriting security, but then also some different properties that they have aside from just the, the layer one. This is a big question. We could spend hours on this, but I think that the short answer is the, the, for me, at least the breakthrough of zero knowledge computation in blockchain is the ability to compute somewhere else and then assert integrity on like some place you trust. So you have mm -hmm. very big compute that is done on layer twos, layer threes, even off chain. And then the only thing you have to verify on layer one is the zero knowledge proof, which is very, very small compared to. Mm -hmm. So what you end up with is actually compression in some sense, or like philosophical sense, you almost get a zip file and you only store the zip file on Ethereum in some sense. Forgive me if this is a naive question, but is the zero, the advent of zero knowledge, was that something that was discovered by the Ethereum Foundation or has that always been a paradigm in the hmm. computing space? That's a good question. I'm not sure. 
I know zero knowledge was discovered in the 80s and it didn't have any practical use for it. Mm. And as far as I know, some people among who Elie Ben Sasson, uh, one of the co-founders of Starkware, adapted it to blockchain by founding Zcash. And I think basically when you make a mental model about zero knowledge, you have to think about privacy or scalability. So mm-hmm. for Zcash, I think it was privacy, but for, for rollups, it's scalability, the ability to, to check integrity on a different layer from the compute one. So this is very powerful in terms of saving money and yeah. saving, saving space. Absolutely. And then did the Ethereum foundation invent it? I'm not sure they invented it, but they definitely pushed it to where it is today. Starkware mm-hmm. played a big role by firstly inventing Starks and then being the first zero knowledge rollup with Stark X, which was like a permissioned zero knowledge mm-hmm. rollup. And then all the people who joined the, the fray, like ZKSing, Polygon, everyone's call played a big part in, in, in pushing through. So, so let's talk a little bit about Starkware because that's where you guys will be building. Talk a little bit about the difference between Starkware and some of the other, I guess, zero knowledge rollups. What makes it a, a great place to, to build? Yeah. So, so Starknet is the general purpose zero knowledge rollup developed by Starkware and Starknet is a layer two. What's interesting about it is it's not an EVM based chain. What it means is that it breaks compatibility or I don't know, like, yeah, compatibility of all the tools and all your contracts. If you come from Ethereum ecosystem, you have to change your programming language, your like mental models about things, but it's quite new and it's very innovative. So I would say the main difference is you have to change the programming language. It's very new. So there are often updates, but at the same time, it's on the, it's on the vanguard, I would say of research, applied research. It's on the, they're on the fray. So this is very nice. So whoever is building on Starknet could consider themselves pioneering in the scalability and ecosystem of Ethereum. Got it. And that new coding language from Starknet, that's Cairo. Talk a little bit about Cairo and what makes that a different or I guess more competitive or more closer to the bleeding edge <laughs> than, than other coding languages. The core goal of Cairo is to be a provable language. Mm-hmm. I know it's, it, sounds, it sounds complicated, but it's, it just means that if you execute Cairo once, so you execute all your transactions on Starknet on the layer two, you then can prove them on layer one. So this is very akin to if you've heard like everyone talk about circuits, about metadation or all the technology associated with the uh, zero knowledge rollups. So what is nice about Cairo is that it's a general purpose language that is provable and, and for that is very powerful. So mm. think of, think of solidity, which is the main programming language of Ethereum, of the EVM, of the Ethereum virtual machine, you can't, you can't just prove it. You have to run it to verify it. What is nice about Cairo is that it somewhat looks similar to Solidity in the sense mm-hmm. that it's very expressive. It's not very complicated. Now the new version and whatever comes out, you can execute it off chain and prove it on chain. So right. you directly, I would say from the properties, like what you're looking for, this is exactly what you're looking for. And so Cairo is very convenient in that way. That's, that's actually a really interesting point you bring up about being able to execute off chain and then prove on chain. If we look at one of the biggest problems in the blockchain space today, it's bloating of, of, you know, blockchain transactions. And that's why block space is so expensive is because right now we're writing down so much information to the, the L1 chain that 
there's not enough space. And so people have to pay a higher premium for that block space. Now, what you're saying is we have the ability to kind of execute all of these transactions off chain, but only write that, that ZK proof to the main chain, which is only, you know, maybe a, a line or a few lines of code, which is in, an incredible kind of step change in the amount of information that we can prove on the blockchain. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So we talked a little bit about this pre-recording, but I want to just kind of bring it back to the different types of ZK EVMs. Vitalik wrote a article, I, I think last year around the different types of ZK EVMs, and he listed off four different types. Where does Kakarot fit in within those four different types? And would you be able to maybe discuss the differences between each? Sure. So currently Kakarot sits between type 2.5 and 3, but let's, for the sake of simplicity, say that it's a type 3 ZKVM. Essentially, if you're type 4, you're least compatible with Ethereum. If you're type 1, you're most compatible. You're so compatible that you're equivalent and you can, you, you could be interchanged with the Ethereum mainnet and no one would notice. So it's kind of like the holy grail mm -hmm. uh, that is very hard to attain, not simply in terms of uh, code, but also in terms of how expensive it is to prove the current like state of Ethereum uh, in terms of, of how I would say the Ethereum was not first built for ZK. So mm -hmm. whatever tools and primitives you have on Ethereum, they're not they're very expensive to prove. So hashing functions, a format of types and, and so on. Yeah. So when you have a type four, you're not compatible in the sense that you can't just copy paste, like your huge code base that you deployed on Polygon POS or BNB chain or Ethereum, and then copy paste it on your ZKVM. You have to mm -hmm. change it a little bit. You, there are some quirks that you have to address. So this would be ZK sync era. It's mm -hmm. almost the same. But say 5% is not the same, so you have to be mindful of it. When you're type 3, you're essentially able to like, almost just copy-paste 10,000 lines of code mm -hmm. and expect things to just work. So this would be Polygon and Scroll, kind of, and, and Kakarot. Okay. Type 2, you're starting to have lots of cool things, being all the precompiles of the UVM, so some like heavy stuff. And, and you have exactly the same gas outlay. And then type one is you're exactly the same. So you have all the mm. same hash functions, all the same primitives. Elias, is it, is it possible for a protocol to move from one type of ZK EVM to another as it, as it grows? I expect that's what's going to happen. And uh, do you think most, like, yeah. Do you, do you think most protocols will eventually move to an end state of type one, or is that essentially just too big of an uh, engineering lift for, for many teams. If it makes sense, they will. There is a trade-off. So there is currently, if you're moving from type three to type one, your your all the everything costs more essentially. So th mm. this can be reduced to this. So either it costs more, or it takes more time. Got it. And, and sometimes it brings nothing to move from type three to type one. Why? Because if you have your own rollup, you don't care that you can prove Ethereum blocks. What you're trying to prove is your own blocks. So. Mm. What if, what if you could say to Solidity devs, you can come to my rollup, nothing changes for you in terms of being a dev, but me for my infra, it means that I have to change some things, to change some things, but you never notice it. It doesn't change right. anything for you. And for end users, there's no difference, but you, you're still a type two or like type three. And that's things, and people will accept because it, this means essentially you have a hundred times less price, like, uh, less sure. Less sure. But if we move to, um, 
different world where essentially you can be type one and not suffer consequences. Mm. And then sure, why not? This is great. Um, Fair. It seems like a, a bit of a cost benefit analysis exactly. um, for each individual team. If they think that the, the added cost of that computation and that, I guess, proof, provability is, is worth it, then they, they will move. But however, it doesn't seem like if there's a few minor changes to the code, it, it would be as difficult. Cool. Let's, let's move a little bit more into yourself, your background, and kind of what makes you a great leader for Kakarot. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got here, how you started in the space, and what brought you to building Kakarot. Actually, I, I talked about this with Abdel, who also started Kakarot. He works at Starkware, and he le leads the exploration team. And sometimes when he tries to find the origin story for things, he always starts by saying, I don't know if this is true or if it's just me reconstructing. <laughs> so I will say this from here. <laughs> because when he, he, he found the name Kakarot for Kakarot, just side story. And someone asked him why. And he said, ZK Kro, Z Kakarot, Kakarot. Uh, okay. Okay. So Kakarot is also the first name of a anime character he likes. Interesting. So there is just a chance that he found Kakarot like randomly because he likes a manga. Or he found it because it made, it made sense. And now we don't have any more truth from, from Fable. So <laughs> I was going to ask that question too. So that's, thank you for giving me the, the background. Yeah. But yeah, so now I remember in 2018, I was doing an exchange. Like I did one year of exchange in Singapore. And one of my friends there, he was, he was really into Bitcoin. And mm. that's approximately where I started to like buy ETH, buy shit coins, get wrecked a couple of times. <laughs> so. Sure. Now I'm reconstructing. Did he pill me or did I become <laughs> friends with him? Because I was already pilled. Interesting. So this, <laughs> I we all thing. have our own memories in our own head, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I remember back then, so I was finishing my uh, math masters and humanities uh, double major. And I was going to be either a consultant or like a structure trader. So I tried it for six months being a trader and it was fine. People were re actually nice, nicer than you would expect. I don't know mm. from, the, mm -hmm. from the cliche, right? But uh, yeah. it was actually nice. But it, I realized that it wasn't what I, I wanted to do. I wanted to do programming. And there was a bunch of Python during the, during the internship. So I got into programming that way. And since I was already interested in blockchain, I just kind of self-taught self for six months, trying mm -hmm. to do projects with my friends, and then joined two, two, like, two companies one for six months, one for a year. And I just kind of got cool mentors and really nice opportunities to learn. So DDD, learn ZK, travel a bit, and that the, the StarkNet peeps. Beautiful, beautiful. And and so how long has it been that you've been working on, on Kakarot? Actually, Kakarot was born in October, 2022, approximately. Okay. And I joined up like in this in this time. So Kakarot was started early October 2022. Then mid-October, there was the Starknet CC. And okay. I, I kind of landed there, met Abdel, met all the cool builders that now formed the, the Kakarot core team. So the co-founder, Clement, Danilo, mentor, so many cool people. So we all lived together in the hacker house for a week. We kind nice. of became friends, hacked on Kakarot. And we just, over the time, like quit our jobs or spent, became full-time uh, on Kakarot. It was like a week, but we continuously met each other at different hacker houses. First one sure. was in Lisbon, then we met in Tel Aviv. 
And yeah, I think for six months, the project was just open source and open mm -hmm. grants from the StarkNet Foundation and only dust. And then we realized that it was, there was actually a big, a big opportunity for the ecosystem. So mm -hmm. we realized that we had implemented the EVM in Cairo. And what it meant was that we could bring the EVM to the StarkNet ecosystem. So okay. we could finally kind of rearrange our, 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 our strong beliefs, which is one that the EVM is the Ethereum ecosystem is cool. And the EVM is a nice layer of, of abstraction, mm -hmm. but also that the StarkNet ecosystem is our family kind of, and we're looking to make it win. So we're looking Absolutely. to make it big and we're looking to stay in the StarkNet ecosystem and make it flourish. So this was, this was the, a great opportunity to kind of form a business around this idea. Speaking to, to your relationship with StarkNet, I think it is very aptly put that you guys are pioneers, right? This is some of the, you know, the forefront bleeding edge of, of blockchain technology and, you know, those developers that are high caliber and want to kind of push the limits of what a blockchain can do. It does seem like Starkware, Starknet are the places to go for that. So applaud that. And I think anybody building in the Ethereum ecosystem and, you know, trying to bring scalability to what we have here is, is doing a tremendous job. So congrats on that. Let's, let's talk about community a little bit because specifically in the blockchain space, it's not if you build it, they will come. There needs to be kind of a strategy around how you onboard not only developers, but, you know, app builders and, and retail users as well. So have you guys started thinking about that? I know you're pre-launch, but have you th thought about your kind of go-to-market strategy as of yet? Yeah, we're looking. So since at launch, we're looking to be a general purpose EVM. So no, like no specific, I would say focus. We're looking to target different, different populations. One is people who have a EVM code base. So Solidity, Viper, Huff, mm -hmm. and want to come on onto like a flourishing ecosystem, the starting ecosystem, but want to keep their code base as is. Mm -hmm. So we're looking to be kind of an onboarding bridge to the starting ecosystem. That's first. Secondly, we're looking to target just like, I don't know if that's a word, but grassroots users, grassroots devs that are innovating. So I know Danilo, our lead ecosystem, really is into autonomous world, ZKML. So anything that's bleeding edge, we would mm -hmm. look to essentially foster a cool ecosystem for them. And that would mean two things. One is have specific compute, like facilitating compute for them. So that would be pre-compiled, especially for them. And then mm -hmm. secondly, we would have like grants and kind of like tournaments to develop cool things with this. And then for retail, we were thinking since the StarkNet ecosystem is evolving fast and evolving in the, in the direction of a uh, fractal scaling, we would also probably try to cater to bigger retail or institutionals mm -hmm. that would want to run their uh, EVM chain inside the StarkNet ecosystem. Got it. Got it. Okay, so that's that seems like a, a pretty you know stable plan. Moving, let's call it over the next twelve months. I know you are pre testnet. Do you have some timing that you can share for when you're planning either testnet or mainnet, or hopefully, what we can look forward to over the next twelve months? Let's say. Yeah, hopefully, trademark. We would like to launch our testnet. So, yeah, within this quarter of twenty twenty three, so Q four twenty twenty three. 
and then mainnet Q2 2024. That would be ideal. Okay, so fast approaching, a uh, lot to be excited about. Yes. Finally, Elias, if people are interested in learning more about Kakarot or you know starting to build applications alongside you or, or on StarkNet, where uh, would they find you? They can find Kakarot at kakarot.org. So that's our website. They'll find our GitHub. Everything is open source. We welcome mm-hmm. contributors. Even today, we've had new contributors that I don't even know. They participated to the code base and I happily emerged their new features. Wow. So any dev can join us and we have rewards for every, every new dev that comes to us, bounties and rewards. And then users can find us on Kakarot, Zetki, EVM on Twitter. And they can also find me on Twitter. So if, if you find Kakarot, you'll find me and vice versa. <laughs> We're Fantastic. very happy to talk on Telegram and Twitter. So engage with us. If you want to pre-test, we have also a whitelist test net coming up. So we'll, we'll be able to share more of that soon. Beautiful. Well, we look forward to all the progression and kind of watching and following the project over the next few months. Elias, thank you so much for, for joining the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot for your time. All right. One final disclosure from our legal department. None of the companies featured on this show are paid promotions. This podcast is simply an extension of our diligence process here at Contango. That said, we may eventually invest in some of the projects we cover. Nothing in this show should be considered investment advice. Crypto is risky. Always do your own research and never invest more than you can afford to lose. That's our show. If you like the content, please like and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use. And don't let the alpha stop now. If you're a crypto investor, researcher, developer, or founder, we would love to meet you. You can apply to our free private alpha group where we host discussions, share opportunities, and connect some of the brightest minds in crypto. You can find more information on our website at contango.digital. Until next time, keep your ears down and alpha up.